The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 70 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 65, Mightier Than the Sword. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Gene Colan, inks by Sam Granger, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in June of 1969. As you may well have noticed, we have a new anchor on this book, and it does give this book a little bit of a different feel than books we've seen before, especially the last couple of issues drawn by Gene Colan. That is certainly not to say it is bad, but it is definitely a noticeable difference. Taking a look at our cover here, there is some very serious, heavy shadow going on, which I kind of like. It, it's a style choice, and it's one that I personally dig, though I do admit that I can understand how not everyone else would enjoy it. The cover is really descriptive of some of the content of the actual issue, where we fill in a little bit more of the backstory between Swordsman and now Goliath, formerly Hawkeye. Since we saw Goliath's brother last issue, they've gone back now and start to add Barney into the previously determined background information that we have on Hawkeye, specifically as it relates to Swordsman. In that regard, I really like the cover because, you know, it's not all the time that we get covers that give us an idea of what's going on in the book. And it's a nice change of pace here. Now, the opening is a little bit weird, although it's a good looking page. I just have a hard time trying to figure out why Swordsman is smashing his way through this billboard. It's a great way for him to enter. It's very dramatic. It fits his personality, but it doesn't actually do a whole lot to get the story rolling. Now, the next page, which is actually a double page spread does a lot more. There's a really interesting page layout as Swordsman makes his way off of this building roof and through an alley past a drunk. It reminds me a lot of Spawn and specifically Rat City where the homeless people live in the early issues of Spawn. Now obviously this predates Spawn by 20 to 25 years so this may be more of an inspiration but it's got that same kind of idea only with a single drunk and with swordsmen running through it. Now I will say that there's a fair amount of wasted space on this page so perhaps it could have been filled a little bit better maybe added some additional panels not so much for storytelling but to kind of fill in the background but I love the way the panels move their way down from the upper left corner towards the bottom right corner as Swordsman makes his way down from this rooftop. The panels themselves convey that sense of descending motion, which is really, really cool and extremely well done. Again, it's wonderful graphic storytelling. Now, as we find out, Swordsman is on his way to a meeting with a person whom he doesn't actually know and isn't revealed here for the first couple of pages until he gets to a warehouse and finds none other than our villain from the last couple of issues, Egghead, waiting for Swordsman. 
I will be honest, I was hoping for a villain different than Egghead because at this point, he's really been a disappointment in terms of being a villain. He doesn't really do much. He hasn't really achieved or accomplished much. He hasn't even come close to accomplishing much. I wanted a villain that could do more. Now, Swordsman, I think, is a great villain, although at least to start this issue, he seems to be lacking some of his swagger, some of his confidence. He's doing a little bit more skulking around. He's running through alleys instead of boldly strolling down a main boulevard. In general, he's not quite the same sword-wielding braggart that we'd seen before, which I kind of liked. He had that Errol Flynn, Robin Hood kind of feel to him. Now, what we get from Egghead is that Egghead knows who Swordsman is and that he has background with whom Swordsman believes is Hawkeye. At this point, Swordsman doesn't realize doesn't know for a fact that Hawkeye is in fact Clint Barton. He suspects, but he's not certain. Now, Clint, on the other hand, is very certain of who Swordsman is based on their previous encounters. But that knowledge doesn't necessarily go both ways. So what Egghead does here is he takes some time and fills in Swordsman and Clint's backstory. Now, one of the things he does here is he adds in Barney Barton, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago. So we now see some of the young Clint Barton Barton's interactions with his brother, what brought the two of them to this circus, and that interplay between the three. If you remember, Swordsman took young Clint Barton in under his wing, taught him how to use a bow and arrow, but always kept him and definitely instilled the idea that he was inferior to Swordsman as a performer, as a trick artist, if you will. Later on, Hawkeye finds out that Swordsman is stealing money from the circus, and he confronts Swordsman about this. The chase that ensues ends with Clint Barton falling from the high wire after Swordsman cuts it, presumably to his death, although as Egghead helps Swordsman realize that Hawkeye is in fact Clint Barton, just as Swordsman had suspected, but hadn't been able to prove. So Egghead, knowing this connection between the two characters, hires Swordsman to go and capture Giant Man, in part because Swordsman already has this connection that he thinks that Swordsman would like to exploit, would like to address, but also because, in theory, Swordsman was once an Avenger. Now, obviously, that is a little bit of a stretch of reality. Swordsman was on the team mostly because he was threatening people. He was never really a member and was shortly kicked off of the team after it became clear he was a villain. But he did at least for a time have access to Avengers Mansion and that's really what Egghead wants to take advantage of. Now, back at Avengers Mansion, we find our heroes, and specifically Goliath, mourning the loss of Barney Barton. The Avengers didn't realize up until scant hours before this that Clint had a brother. Quite honestly, they didn't even realize his name was Clint at the time. That's a, a fairly new development. But the Avengers are mourning the loss of this man who, in all honesty, was really more of a villain than a hero, but in the end died to save the Avengers to prevent further destruction and further loss of life. As part of that, Goliath further explains what happened the last time he saw his brother, because as it was implied last issue, and then as Goliath explicitly says in this issue, it's been years since the two had seen each other. 
the story that Goliath tells picks up scant moments after the story Egghead left off, where Barney finds his injured brother having just fallen from the tightrope, and instead of trying to help his brother and comfort him, he berates his brother for turning in swordsmen and not joining him and not cutting him, him in. And basically, Barney's looking for the easy way out. He's looking to make money. He doesn't care how he does it or who he hurts in the process. And then Barney leaves Clint. And that's the last time the brothers saw each other up until the point at which Barney walked into Avengers Mansion. Even with this in mind, Clint still feels the urge to avenge his brother. And he actually goes so far as to say, we're called the Avengers, and I'm going to live up to that name. I'm going to take my vengeance on Egghead for what he has done to my brother. Now, of course, this is a little unsettling to the other Avengers, and Hank even tells him, don't let a thirst for revenge eat away at you, which I think is something we can all understand, right? There are plenty of cautionary tales from mythology and folklore, fairy tales, and Quite honestly, even just in real life, where this thirst for revenge, this desire to get even with someone just consumes a person and destroys them from the inside. That is a common motif throughout all of humanity, and it's a story that's been told for millennia. But before the Avengers can really work to dissuade their compatriot, we cut away and find Swordsman making his way through Avengers Mansion. And he does so with a surprising degree of ease. And a lot of that is due apparently because due to the fact that he apparently still has access codes for the security system to Avengers Mansion. Now, I would like to think that in the last 45 issues, the Avengers have made improvements to the security system. And in fact, we have seen some of those improvements. So it's a little bit of a stretch for me to believe that the Avengers haven't changed their access codes and that somehow Swordsman would still be able to make his entry into Avengers Mansion with such ease, knowing that these changes have been made. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Avengers have gotten a little bit complacent or they've added new sensors and new traps and things, but they didn't bother, you know, changing the codes. It's like changing your password on your email, right? Google adds all this extra stuff, all this extra protection. But if you don't change your password, who cares? If you've still got one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D is your password. Guess what? Someone's getting into your email. Maybe it's the same idea here. Actually, that reminds me of that great scene in Spaceballs where they're reading off the code to the atmospheric shield. The combination is... One. 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 Two. 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 Three. 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 Four. 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 Five. 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 So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. Then later on, President Scroob of the Spaceballs freaks out because it's the same combination on his luggage. You know, maybe it's that situation there. At any rate, although Swordsman gains access to Avengers Mansion, he obviously doesn't have knowledge of all of the sensors and traps and things installed because he sets off an alarm just outside the Avengers meeting chamber. And the Avengers rush to confront him, but because Goliath is so filled with this rage over the death of his brother, and he so negatively associates the parting of ways with his brother with Swordsman, Goliath is intent on fighting Swordsman 
alone. So he actually fights the other Avengers in an effort to keep them from taking on Swordsman so he can have Swordsman all to himself. And because of this, Swordsman is able to defeat the Avengers and eventually force Goliath back to a normal human size and it kind of knocks him unconscious. Oddly enough here, Swordsman has a very special raid designed specifically to deal with Goliath and his powers. What I find interesting, though, is that Swordsman's sword has all these special powers, but they were installed by the Mandarin, who doesn't actually have anything against Goliath, and whose technology is based on this highly advanced alien tech that he has discovered and mostly mastered. So this implies to me that Egghead would have had to figure out how the sword works, which is not impossible, though in the amount of time given, I would call improbable, and then provide these tech upgrades for a very specific purpose. And on top of that, these tech upgrades in general imply a certain degree of working knowledge of Goliath's powers, specifically how the, the formula and the pim particles work. On top of that, right, we're, we're just layering here, but on top of that is the fact that this is a brand new formula developed by Hank. And this isn't even Hank, this is Clint. How does Egghead know this will work? How did Egghead figure out it was going to work? I mean, there's just so many layers of improbable stacked on top of one another here that I'm honestly left scratching my head and I just kind of have to hit the I believe button in order to continue with the plot. Otherwise, I'm just going to spend the entire day banging my head against my desk. At any rate, Swordsman picks up Goliath, whom earlier in the fight had identified himself as Clint Barton because Swordsman commented on the fact that there's no Hawkeye present and Clint basically cuts him off and says, no, I'm Clint, now I'm Goliath. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, Egghead hired Swordsman to capture Goliath. However, Egghead didn't specify that he wanted Hank Pym Goliath. And as we all know, Hank Pym is now Yellowjacket. So Swordsman believes that he has killed two birds with one stone by capturing Clint Barton, i.e. Goliath. So he has who he wants and he has who Egghead wants. They just happen to be the same person. As it turns out, that's not the case. As I mentioned, Egghead wanted Hank Pym because that's who Egghead has beef with. Well, Egghead doesn't bother to mention that to Swordsman until he's already got Goliath in front of him. Basically what happens is Swordsman throws Goliath down in front of Egghead and he says that, you know, the guy I want and the guy you want are the same guy. And Egghead says, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He's like, but you know what? I don't really care as long as you brought me Henry Pym. And Swordsman basically says, I'm sorry, who am I supposed to have brought you? And Swordsman, no kidding, reaches out and clocks Egghead. Basically, Egghead makes some kind of thinly veiled threat, and Swordsman is having none of this. As far as Swordsman is concerned, he did what was asked of him. It's not his fault that Egghead was non-specific as to who he wanted captured. He said, bring me Goliath. Swordsman brought him Goliath, and it's not his fault he didn't tell him which Goliath. Now, as all of this is happening, Clint Barton is lying on the floor, initially unconscious, but he regains consciousness while this argument and eventually fistfight is going on. So while the villains are fighting each other, Goliath grows to his giant size and prepares to get in the middle of this fight. But before he can do so, Egghead uses a stun blaster to basically force swordsman out of a window and so with swordsman dangling from this window ledge goliath steps in knocks out egghead literally with a flick of his finger and then creates a makeshift
makeshift bow and uses it to save Swordsman's life. At this point, Goliath has the ability to kill Egghead and to kill Swordsman. They're at his mercy. And yet he chooses not to as a way of making up for giving up on his brother. As the two men parted ways, Hawkeye went down a life of crime for a while, but then has made amends as an Avenger. And he's basically saying to himself, I could have gone and found my brother and changed his ways. And maybe if I had done that, things would have been different and my brother wouldn't be dead. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to take the high ground here as a way to honor his memory and to try and make amends for the ways in which I failed my brother. And that is a really touching thing for him to do. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a little not in keeping with his current mood. I mean, he was really in the, I'm going to kill people. I want vengeance. I'm an Avenger. I'm going to avenge mindset. But on the other hand, Hawkeye is this hero. And I find it so fascinating and such a great character moment that Goliath chooses to save the man who is responsible for driving he and his brother apart and that he doesn't kill Egghead. Now, admittedly, I do feel here that his anger towards Swordsman is a little bit excessive. Yes, Swordsman is largely responsible for the brothers going their separate ways. But outside of that, the current situation that Goliath has found himself in is not at all the fault of Swordsman in the long run, right? It wasn't just one event that led immediately to the next event. There were years and years of decisions, life choices, different events that happened in between that led eventually to Barney's death. Did the split between the brothers that was caused by Swordsman start Barney down that path? Sure. But certainly Egghead is most immediately responsible for the death of Barney. And it feels like Swordsman is getting a little bit more of the blame than he probably deserves in this particular instance. For at least that part. I mean, the whole attacking Avengers Mansion, kidnapping Goliath part, you know, okay, fine. That Goliath has every reason to be upset about that part. But the other parts, maybe not as much. Overall, I think this is a much better issue than we've seen in the last couple of issues. Swordsman, again, is a much more interesting villain. I'm not overly keen on the fact that we spent several pages rehashing the Hawkeye origin that we had seen before without more than a panel or two of additional information. That was a little bit of a waste of page count, but I can understand why they did that. One of the things I haven't really mentioned in this podcast is the idea that every so often comic books of this era, really from the golden age, even through modern comics, but especially of this time period, would retell origins periodically, knowing that their readership was turning over every X number of years, maybe five years or so, as kids got older and stopped reading comics and then new kids started reading comics, they would reincorporate these origin retellings so that you didn't have to read all the old comics in order to get the backstory on these characters. Certainly, they don't retell everything, but enough that you have the basic understanding of who these characters are and what they're about and where they came from. So this is really just another one of those retellings. Looking through this issue, I really do enjoy Sam Granger as the inker on this book. 
He's got a little bit of a, a distinct style in that he goes for some very, very heavy shadows mixed in with some very light detail line work. There are some really great details in faces and in muscles that give a, a great deal of clarity. But at the same time, Granger uses some very heavy, heavy shadows really to a very dramatic effect. There's a few panels in particular where shadow works so well to provide mood and tone for the scene that's being told. And I really, really enjoy it. And again, you know, Swordsman is just a better villain than Egghead. Although Egghead is a part of this issue, it is primarily driven by Swordsman. And after the first couple of pages, Swordsman really gets his swagger back. And that Swordsman character, that Errol Flynn kind of swaggering Captain Kirk-esque villain is a lot of fun. I enjoy reading Swordsman. So the final thing I wanted to touch on before we part ways this time is I want to go back a little bit to issue number 60, where we talked about the marriage of Wasp and Yellow Jacket. And our resident legal expert has kind of filled me in on a little bit of information that I'd like to pass along to you guys. So again, marriage is obviously a state law issue, right? It's not something that the federal government involves itself with. So laws vary from state to state, but most states recognizes a difference between a marriage being void and being voidable. So a void marriage is something along the lines of bigamy, incest, someone of underage, something that is a very clear cut. This is not allowed. This is prohibited. A voidable marriage tends to be a more broad category and encompasses things like both parties lacking capacity, i.e. being drunk in Vegas. And in this case, it is a valid wedding should both parties later choose to remain married. So like if you got drunk in Vegas and got married and later on realized it was this horrible mistake, you could get the marriage voided. However, you know, let's say it was you and your fiance. You're planning to get married anyways. You just got drunk in Vegas and did it. Other than having to explain things to your parents, perhaps, if you were already intending to get married, you could stay married. It wouldn't automatically void the marriage. So without having done specific research for New York State, because again, this is where the Avengers take place, our resident legal expert has informed me that it is likely that Hank Pym's mental state would not strictly void the marriage, but would at least have the potential for it to be voidable, i.e. if later down down the road when Hank's mental capacity was less impaired, he could either choose to stay with Jan or not. So I thought that was a fun little follow-up to a, a concept that we had put out there before and uh, decided to fill you in on that. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 66, Betrayal. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs>